Welcome to the 237th episode of the Reading and Writing Podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Rutherford. Stay tuned for my interview with author Rada Vatsal, author of the historical mystery novel, A Front Page Affair. Stay tuned for the interview. Welcome back to the Reading and Writing Podcast. My guest today is Rada Vatsal, author of the new historical mystery novel, A Front Page Affair. Rada, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Sure. Well, can you read two or three pages from your new novel, A Front Page Affair? Sure, I'd be happy to. Um, So just a little background. A Front Page Affair is set in New York City in 1915, and the protagonist is capability, or as she's known, Kitty Weeks. Um, And she works for the ladies' page of a newspaper, the New York Sentinel. Um, Back in 1915, women were sort of relegated to uh, specialized departments of newspapers. They weren't allowed to report general news because it was felt that they couldn't uh, stand the strain of working under deadlines or going out and about the way that men could. And um, so the section I'm going to read to you, uh, so what happens is that Kitty uh, is sent to cover a July 4th party uh, at which one of the guests is murdered. And um, she returns back to the paper and um, the one of the male reporters from the news desks asks her to assist with... Um, covering the story. And also just a little bit of background on the period um, is that uh, the U.S. is still neutral. Uh, It hasn't yet joined World War I, although that's going on in Europe. The Lusitania has just been sunk. And also there's this attack on J.P. Morgan's um, mansion, but that uh, on J.P. Morgan at home, his, his mansion, although I guess that doesn't appear in this section that I'm reading. This is a conversation between Kitty and the male reporter. Great. Um, let me get the page. Do the police have any leads, Mr. Flanagan? Kitty leaned across the metal table. That's not for you to worry about. Flanagan rubbed the fleshy pads of his fingers together. What I need from you is texture, details about the evening, who came, what was said, emotional reactions and such. How did the guests respond when they heard the news? How did the police handle matters? The feminine viewpoint on things. Ah, yes, I see. The woman's angle. Kitty swallowed her disappointment. Well, don't tell me. Write it down. Write it down, he repeated. Yes, Mr. Flanagan. And have you conducted an interview before? Ah, Kitty wasn't about to draw attention to the fact that the first time she actually spoke to anyone on official sentinel business had been yesterday at the party. Tell me, how does one go about it? Flanagan didn't notice her hesitation. An interview, Kitty began, is a journalistic form, first attempted on this side of the Atlantic. I'm not asking what, Miss Weeks, I'm asking how. Please answer the question precisely. Yes, Mr. Flanagan, Kitty quoted from Schumann's Practical Journalism. The reporter meets his man, has a talk with him on the subjects desired, and instead of taking a faithful record of every word, 
watches to catch the spirit of what is said and the manner in which it is uttered. He jots down the speaker's exact words only on vital or technical points. Exactly, Flanagan murmured. With his materials mostly in his head, he goes to his desk and writes the interview. Half of the words credited to the speaker may not in fact have been uttered by him. Yet, if the work, if the work is well done, it will be more just and infinitely more readable than any dialogue reproduced verbatim. That's correct. Flanagan ran a hand through his leonine mane. The most difficult part of the task is getting the subject to talk, Kitty continued. You must remember what he has said while keeping up your side of the conversation and keeping in mind the questions that remain. All right, Miss Weeks, I see you know your stuff. Now all that remains is for us is to see if you can do as you say. Kitty's heart raced. So you'd like me to speak to a few of the guests and have my report for you by this afternoon. Her eyes opened wide. Flanagan groaned. This is real news, Miss Weeks, not your ladies' page stuff. We have hard deadlines, he relented. All right, since you're new to it, you can give me the third report tomorrow. Hand in your notes on the other two by three o'clock today, he pushed back the bench. You're familiar with the term sob sisters? Yes, Mr. Flanagan. They're the four lady reporters who covered the trial of Harry Thaw for murdering Sanford White back in 07. Kitty knew their names. Greeley, Miss Greeley Smith, Miss Dix, Miss Patterson, and Miss Black. Isn't Mr. Thaw to have another trial soon? I believe so, but that isn't my point. What I bring, what I want to bring to your attention is the type of writing that those females produced. They did your kind a great disservice by splashing their personal opinions on every line. They turned out page after page of purple prose that made me sick to my stomach. Not that you will be writing anything other than notes, but you cannot forget, he slowed down. The Sentinel does not tolerate that kind of garbage. While you're working for me, you keep it simple, keep it dignified, and keep to the facts. Can you manage that? Absolutely, Mr. Flanagan. Kitty had no intention of doing anything else. That's Great. It. Well, if someone listening hasn't heard about a front page affair yet, how would you describe your debut novel? Um, I think I would say that it's a coming of age story, both for the protagonist, Kitty, and also um, it's a coming of age story for the U.S. Um, I've sort of envisioned this is the first in a series which I've envisioned as going across the the whole World War One era, but from a domestic perspective. And what happens at this during this time, it's a very exciting time for women. Women enter the workforce in unprecedented numbers, and by 1920, they get the vote. Um, but they're becoming more and more vocal. They're being more present in public life. At the same time, the U.S. goes from being um, a second-tier nation um, you know, on the other side of the Atlantic to really, by the end of 1920, becoming the leading player on the world stage. It becomes, you know, a dominant international economic power, political power, and cultural power. Um, you know, ho movies from Hollywood are all the rage, cars are all the rage, and all and, and and that's all American. So it's really like I see it as a mystery, but also a coming of age story with a strong um, 
with a very strong historical um, grounding. So, for instance, from the what I quoted for, you know, the passage that I read from you when Kitty talks about Schumann's practical journalism, for instance, that is um, exactly how people reported back then. News interviews were new. They were considered really faddish um, in the teens. And they didn't, a, a reporter wouldn't jot down every word that you said. They would just kind of um, take it and run with it and make it as sort of colorful as they could. Uh there was also this very sensational um, murder trial for Harry Thaw that uh, that gets mentioned in the excerpt, and that was something where women reporters weren't allowed to actually, um, sorry, women weren't allowed in the courtroom, and the judge banned all women from the courtroom except for these four reporters who were allowed to stay in and report what was going on because the trial given by the defendant's wife was considered too sensational for women to hear directly. <laughs> so it has a very strong historical um, storyline, and it's really grounded in events that, that took place um, on real days. And uh, um, I guess, so it starts on July 5th, 1915, and it ends on a very specific date in July, and then there's an epilogue later. But the history isn't just the backdrop for the action. It's central to the plot. Um, right. so well, do you remember history. the original idea or impetus for your novel, A Front Page Affair, and your her your heroine, Kitty Weeks? Yeah. Um, I was doing um, a PhD at Duke for, uh, and I was working on silent films, and while... and while I was doing my research, I learned about all the women who directed films um, back in the 1900s and 1910s. And that amazed me because there were so many of them. And I learned that, you know, those types of numbers weren't seen again in the industry till the 1970s, 1960s, 1970s. So it fell off in the 20s and then didn't really recover the number of women making films until the 70s. And then I also learned about these early action films that were made with women heroines. And um, they were all the rage in the teens. So you have movies like The Perils of Pauline, The Exploits of Elaine, Perils of Our Girl Reporters. And they all had these women protagonists who were who were just doing everything. You, there's one, The Hazards of Helen, where you see Helen jumping on to a moving train and battling these bandits who stole. She's a telegraph operator who stole from the railways and she gets, you know, she defeats them and she gets her job back and things like that. I mean, very active. They're brandishing guns. And I was like, what is going on here? And why do more people not know about um, these women and the things that were going, you know, things that were going on at the time? And that's when I began, began to be more interested in the period and started looking into it further and then realized how much also the U.S. was changing at that time. And then I really thought, oh, I want to write something set in this period, but what kind of heroine do I need? At first I thought, oh, maybe I would make her a film actress herself, but then I thought that it might, I realized it might be a little limiting. So mm -hmm. I came up with this idea of having her be a journalist, which is another kind of, in fact, women journalists were the subject, were the heroines of many of these action films because they get to go out in the world and ask questions and do things. Um, and so that's really where the idea came from. 
That that's that's really interesting. Um, uh, what you you mentioned about the 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 historical um, uh, you know the historical setting. And, and you've talked about that and talked about, you know, how the novel opens on a specific date and ends on a specific date. So I wondered, what was your, what was your research process like to, to research the book, given that it was, um, you know, given that you, you've stuck so close to the historical record? Well, yeah, so the the process was really a lot of fun. I mean, first I did some sort of broad things and I kept just sort of reading around in the period until I found like um, uh, an incident that really interested me, which was this shooting, um, this man. And, and again, these are these events and I try to find events that are not so well known, but I, but I think are very telling. So this man burst into JP Morgan's home on Long Island and, um, and basically attacked him, shot him, uh, in the leg twice. And it, he comes in at breakfast. Morgan is sitting there with his wife and the British ambassador. They're all having breakfast and this man charges in. They actually met on the first floor landing. And then Morgan was so angry. He like ran towards the guy, the guy shoots him. And then Morgan fell on top of him. And, uh, He's um, J.P. Morgan was a very big man, like 250 pounds. So he pins his scrawny attacker under him, although he's fallen down with bullet wounds. And then his wife yanks away a pistol and the butler conks the guy on the head um, with a piece of coal. And this is all true. And I was like, this is crazy. So, I mean, I found this incident that interested me. And then I, what I do and what I've done, I just handed in a draft for book two, is I go through the papers, which is... Um, um, every day over that period. And I really, I know what happened, what the headlines were for the day every day. Um, and, and then I kind of sketch out the events of the story. So it's like I, in uh, Kitty kind of the plot of the story, um, kind of gets, I kind of inserted into the framework of what history gives me sort of day by day. And I like to have, um, her reacting to those type of things that are really happening in real life on a daily basis as they kind of unfold. And and I'm also very careful not to change dates and things to suit the convenience of my story. And one thing, you know, that's a small point, but July 4th in 1915 fell on a Sunday. There were no parties. There were no July 4th parties, private parties, really large ones. They didn't do that kind of thing on a Sunday. So the July 4th parties, the big private ones, were all held on July 5th. And my story opens with this. And it would have been so much easier to say it's a July 4th party on July 4th. But I stuck to it's actually on July 5th because that's how it was. And and it was really interesting because Morgan got shot on July 3rd on the Saturday. And they reported it on the papers on the July on July 4th, but then the party, the parties actually happened on July 5th. So, but I really, I, I, I kind of take notes and, and write down what's happening, the main stories they, for every day of the period, and then kind of work from there. That That's interesting. So, so I'm, I'm also curious, um, you, you, you mentioned that you first got interested in this period when you were doing this PhD and studying silent films. Uh, 
I'm curious, were you a mystery fan or a fan of historical mysteries? Or was there ever a process where you considered writing a more literary novel set in this period? What was your what was your decision uh, or thinking when you decided to kind of uh, basically tackle a historical mystery series? Well, I love mysteries. I always read, I like, you know, I think I must have grown up reading Agatha Christie. And um, and then there's another writer who I really like, who isn't so well known here, I think, Dick Francis. He's British. Mm-hmm. Do, you, do you know him? Yes, yes. Yeah, so he's the horse racing guy. And exactly. I used to love... <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, so, and, and I used to love reading his books, and I had no interest in horse racing. I knew nothing about it, but you, you would just like turn, it's like these page turner books, and you end up learning so much about um, a whole different world. And it gave me the sense that mystery is such a great, it's such a great genre because it's all about discovering the truth, right? Who killed someone? But along the way, you're discovering all these other things. And so for me, it's like, it is like a story tell. First of all, it ha- has a beginning, middle, and an end, which I like. And, um, and it also, um, is about discovery. So I feel like it really goes well with like opening up a whole new world. And you can do it in a very easy kind of readable way. Like I, I really don't, I don't like to get bogged down in things. Right. So um, I just felt like it worked very well. So had you written fiction before you sat down to write this novel? No, I had not. And I had tried my hand at um, screenplays a bit, but then mm-hmm. when I kind of set on this story, I really felt like I needed to be able to write it as a novel because um, there was just too much there for me to try to do it as a screenplay, but it took a very long time. I kept thinking that I couldn't write a novel. So I wrote a version of it that was really short. And then I was like, and I showed it to some people and they said, oh, this is great. And then I, you know, worked to make it bigger. And then I actually had written um, an earlier version of the book that is now in a drawer, but (laughs) with, you know, with Kitty and her um, the same characters that appear in in front page affair, but set in 1914, and so it really, I really learned by by doing. I would say it took me several years. And what was the process like once you had a draft that you were happy with in terms of in terms of finding a publisher? So once I had a draft that I was happy with, um, I started to look for an agent. And um, I had not really I gone to any mm, writing work. I mean, I showed it to people who I knew who were in um, publishing or or were writers themselves for feedback. But I never joined any formal group. I never went to any conferences or anything like that. I think I was kind of over thought I was worried about sort of being overwhelmed if I saw the reality of how hard it was when I, you know, if I saw like a huge hotel or something filled with all (laughs) these people pitching, I would get so, I would be so discouraged at my chances uh, that, that I would just stop. So I kind of, I think artificially protected myself. I mean, I knew that it's very hard, but I tried not to face it for as long as possible. 
And then I started writing, you know, just query letters to agents, some of whom were recommended to me. And I tried to also, um, you know, people said, and I think this is very good advice, you know, try to find a book that's similar to yours and query the agent that represents that book. For me, the tricky part was trying to figure what that meant. I was like, how similar, you know, (laughs) New York historical similar, style similar, length similar. And that actually took me a bit of time until finally a friend said, no, it's, you know, protagonist period. You have to be very, don't be creative when thinking about similar, Right, right. Go, go very similar. So that's, and in the end, that's how I found my agent. I um, queried the agency that represented um, a writer whose work was similar to mine and, and they were interested and we went from there. Do you not, do you mind mentioning who the writer was? Um, yeah, actually it's Reese Bowen. Oh, okay. Um, mm-hmm. Great. So, um, given your success to date with, um, with getting the, the series published and you just mentioned, um, obviously your, your debut novel is out, which we've been talking about. And, um, you said that you turned in the draft for the second novel, given your success to date, what advice would you have for aspiring writers who might be listening and are interested in writing their own novels or short stories? Well, I, for me, like, I think the most important thing is to finish what you're doing. So I think it's very easy to have that unfinished manuscript in your drawer and be too nervous to show it to people or too nervous, actually, I think, to finish. That was a, you know, that was for me the hardest struggle to say, okay, I've done the best that I can do now. I really need to try showing it to other people. So I think whatever it takes, for each individual person. Some people like to work in a group. Some people like to work alone. I think that you have to figure out for yourself. But I would say finish it and then don't be discouraged. Like show it out. If you have enough friends and people who um, whose opinion you trust who tell you that it's basically a good book and ready to go out there, then, um, you know, Ask for, you know, query writer, query agents, find an agent. And and it's not all about connections because I found my agent um, really through a cold letter that I wrote, you know. So so it does does happen. And I think it just requires patience. And I think it requires really figuring out, taking a step back and figuring out where your book fits into the market. And, and that's difficult to do. And I wouldn't even recommend trying to do that while you're writing. I think when right. you're writing, you should just write the book you want to write. And then afterwards, it may take you some time, but, but you figure that out. And you just, I think, stick with it. Like it's perseverance also sure. at the end. Sure. So are there books and authors that inspire your own writing, either books that you've read in the past or books that you've read recently? Yeah. Um, I... I love um, Doctorow, and especially he has this wonderful book on New York waterworks. I think that, that for me, that was terrific. Um, actually, in, in a funny way, in terms of the series, what has inspired me most is TV. Um, and uh, I like so series like The Wire, uh, <laughs> where they, um, I mean, it's totally different in feel to what mm-hmm. I've done. 
but but I really like the that concept of where you know over the course of the series you you see Baltimore from various different angles and you kind of get the sense of how the city operates and you keep coming back and meeting these characters again and again, like they may disappear, but then they'll come back later. Um, and you get this sense of a full and complete world. That's kind of, for me, that's really the, the inspiration for, for what I'm trying to do with this series, which is that over the course of it here, you're moving through time more than through space. You're, um, but you're moving through time. You're moving through New York City over these like five, six very transformational years, and and you're getting a sense of how society and politics and everything was changing. And I introduce historical figures in the book, and they'll come and go. I hope to have some film um, so actors also in there as well, but also just um, you know important figures of the day make an appearance and and because kitty's a journalist she gets to speak to them which is also fun that's great so have you projected the number of books for the series i haven't projected the number of books exactly i think (laughs) uh you know you take it one step at a time but i kind of have thought about it i would say you know so i finished the second book and i have thoughts for the third so i'm I have like a very vague idea of the arc <laughs> okay. of it, but right. but I you know haven't projected out in so many. Sure. But I think it also helps to if you want to write a series to definitely have an arc in mind. Right. Right. Um, so, are there other time periods that you've thought in the back of your mind? I mean, obviously you're you're hard at work on the series, but ha- ha- are there other uh, historical time periods that appeal to you maybe down the road for, for another series? I think, I mean, I think so. I haven't really thought about them very much. <laughs> I mean, I think yeah, the, the teens are so, um, they're just so jam packed with things going on. And what was also interesting to me as I was doing my writing is I don't think there's actually that much fiction or that much, and even that much like popular culture movies or anything set in this particular period that I'm doing. It's either afterwards in the 20s with, you know, the roaring 20s and the jazz era and everything already looks modern, or it's a little earlier. So you get more of the turn of the century or the early 1900s, 1910, with more Vanderbilt's Astors and, you know, the big money, the robber barons. But this transitional moment where the country goes from being Victorian to modern, um, uh, doesn't feel so covered to me. So that it feels like sure. there's a lot to say. And, and more also like the stuff that's on it is set in Europe on the battlefields and so on and so forth. But the American perspective, the domestic perspective, um, I just feel like there's just not that much out there. So I feel there's a lot for me to write about, whereas many of the other 20th century decades, I feel, are much better covered. Right, right. Well, where can people find you online to learn more about you and your your books? Um, so you can go to my website, which is www.radavatsal.com, 
and it's R-A-D-H-A-V-A-T-S-A-L. But you can also find me on Facebook. You can friend me on Facebook. And I have a Tumblr, actually, for if you're interested in um, ephemera from the 1910s. As I said, this is a very heavily researched book. So the apartment building, for instance, that Kitty lives in, that's a real apartment building that existed and still exists um, in Manhattan. And I found her original floor plans. And um, there's just all kinds of details about roads, streets, events, people from the teens. And that's on a Tumblr. It's called The World of Kitty Weeks. Um, and you can also find me on Goodreads. Great. Well, again, we've been speaking with Rada Vatzel, author of the new historical mystery novel, A Front Page Affair. The book is in bookstores now, so go buy a copy. And Rada, thanks for doing this interview. Thank you. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.